Your Super Bowl 57 matchup is set with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles set to travel to Phoenix two weeks from now. You are listening to the Fumble Rooski podcast by Power 88 and Secret Weapon Consulting. Adam Wright with Justin Tucker and CJ Medeiros. Guys, we have a great show in store for you guys. So we're going to recap a little bit on the AFC Championship. Plenty of stories there. And we're going to start on our Super Bowl coverage. And joining us to cover all of this, we have the boys from the Neighborhood Podcast. We have Kevin Valentin and Kyle Dabro. So guys, welcome to the show. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Okay, go ahead. Let's go. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here. Uh, appreciate you guys for having us, and uh, you know we're looking forward to the uh, to the content. Yeah, uh, my name is Kyle, and uh, I just want to, you know, extend my thanks and appreciation for letting us be on your podcast for this episode. It's definitely appreciated. Of course, man. Yeah, we we've been following your stuff for a while, and I think you guys have a really good uh, social media presence, and you post constantly which is i mean we understand that's 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 no that's no easy task being able to publish episodes each and every week despite a a tough work schedule um but without further ado we're going to get into it so as i mentioned the super bowl 57 matchup will be chiefs versus eagles in phoenix if you guys know your your super bowl history you know that there have been some memorable game, memorable games in that area uh, for Super Bowls. But I'm going to go around the table. We'll give, each give our initial thoughts on this matchup, and we're going to continue our coverage more in depth um, de- um, over these next two weeks until the big game. But Kev, why don't you start us off? What are your thoughts? Uh, I think this is going to be an incredible game, man. Philadelphia's pass rush is one of the best pass rushes we've seen in quite some time. And then we all know the electric offense of the Chiefs is going to make it the battle of a, an incredible pass rush and defense. And then, of course, Patrick Mahomes and that offense are going to make it a, a duel for the ages, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. All right, Kyle. Yeah, the way that Kevin outlined it was pretty good. I mean, the way that I see it, you know, you got Patrick Mahomes. Look. It's been the multiple Super Bowls and is pretty much undeniably the best quarterback of this new generation that's coming into the fold. And he's going up against a newcomer in that Super Bowl uh, environment or stage with Jalen Hurts, who's had a phenomenal year this year. And um, I guess just something just to kind of keep our eyes on uh, as we get closer to the game uh, for Super Bowl 57 is how healthy are the Chiefs going to be? Because they definitely got dinged up. In that AFC Championship game, Pat wasn't healthy. They had a couple wide receivers go down. And yet, despite that, they were able to overcome that and advance to the Super Bowl. And when you look at the Eagles, the Eagles are relatively healthy across the board. And, I mean, as far as I see it, had they played the Super Bowl this week instead of the AFC and NFC Championship games, respectively, I think just looking at it, the Eagles would have the advantage as far as I see it. But with two weeks ahead of us, I think the Chiefs are definitely going to be in prime position to – make this Super Bowl 57 competitive against the Eagles. So it's going to be a good one. All right. 
CJ? I don't know what to make of the Super Bowls anymore. I really don't. You see, last year we thought we'd get this high-flying offensive spectacular, you know, with the Rams and the Bengals, and that did not happen. And, look, the Super Bowl is like the Wild West. You don't know what's going to happen. All cards are on the table. All bets are off. And you know what? There's this nagging feeling in the back of my head that this is going to be like a defensive slugfest. I don't want it to be, but I feel like it is because, you know, Philly's got an elite defense. Kansas City's defense is good, and it's really underrated. But, I mean, I'm a little concerned. I mean, very slightly with Jalen Hurts because, well, the Eagles did stomp the Niners. Jalen Hurts, at best, had a pedestrian game. And who knows where Patrick Mahomes is with that injury. So, like I said, I just, I mean, everyone expects one thing, but the Super Bowl will always give you another. All right. Talk, you're up. I'm not going to lie. The Super Bowl name I came up with was the Kelsey the Kelsey Bowl because Jason and Travis Kelsey are going to be at the Super Bowl this year. Congrats to those two, two brothers that made it to the Super Bowl. That's pretty impressive. That's one hell of a family, in my opinion. Uh, but overall, I'm not expecting much. I think this will be a pretty intriguing game because I want to see how that offense of the Kansas City Chiefs will do against that Eagles defense, especially since they're a little bit banged up. I want to see what Patrick Mahomes does when they – when four legitimate guys pass rush him all consistently all day long, I want to see if he's still – I want to see if he's better on his leg now that he has two weeks of rest to prepare for the game. I want to see how the, his offense prepares for the Eagles' defense and what they do well. And I kind of want to see what Jalen Hurts is able to do in the Super Bowl. It's his first time in a big in the biggest game of his career when everybody wrote him off a season ago. I, I kind of want to know what he's made of, and I'm – very intrigued by this game. I don't think it's going to be high scoring, but I think it's going to be very nip and tuck throughout the whole game. All right. So not only is this going to be the Kelsey Bowl, but a matchup of the one seeds. And with that, this is going to be the first ever, uh, not first ever. This will be the first Super Bowl since 2017 to 18 season, which was Super Bowl 52, where the one seed has won the Super Bowl. That was the Eagles back in Super Bowl 52. We're not going to talk about that as a Patriots fan. Why not? There's some pain. There's some pain with that one, but we're, is what we're, it is. we're I, just exactly. Tom threw for 500 not. yards in that game. I can yeah. live with that one. 500 that yards, three touchdowns. It didn't matter because uh, they didn't get the win. But the next year when they did win and his stats were bad, it didn't you just Brady still didn't get the credit. But I but I digress. All right. Um now to my to my takeaway on this Super Bowl. Listen, you have Patrick Mahomes, who is the the quarterback to beat um in all of football. He is probably the league MVP, and he has now been to two Super Bowls. Um now this will be a third. So this is the standard I always held with Brady, who is the previous uh, quarterback of his time, is that he was able to do more with less, which is exactly what Mahomes was able to do this year. And I gave him credit for it. What a year for him. 41 touchdown passes with his best receiver being Juju Smith-Schuster, who's not a bad receiver, but he's not a wide receiver one. Um, And now – Juju, uh, Juju is banged up, and so is to- uh, Kadarius Tony. So the way I look at this, going up against a team that top to bottom, 
the Eagles probably better than the Chiefs. Is the quarterback able to overshadow some of the imperfections and win this game? That is going to be very telling of how great Patrick Mahomes is and how great he will be going down the stretch. Because that's kind of, that's the way it is in the NFL. You're not going to have the, the perfect team. It's going to come. It's going to come down to leadership and how you are able to overcome these deficiencies. And that is the the standard I'm going to hold towards towards Patrick Mahomes because he is lauded as the best quarterback in the game right now and perhaps the greatest uh, going forward in the future. Um, so that's going to. Be, so this is going to be a, a test of that because he's been he's been surrounded by more weapons than you can count over the course of his career. Exit Tyreek Hill, and here we are. Let's see how you do with Juju Smith-Schuster as your top wide receiver. Tom Brady did it with Julian Edelman twice as his top receiver. Pretty good. He's, he's a big-time performer. He's not a wide receiver one. Um, but, yeah, that's my takeaway. Um, if you guys have anything else, I did want to change gears. Anything? Uh, I'm good. I'm ready no, for the I'm next segment. Like, I think we hit the nail on the head on that one. All right. Well, this is going to be a great matchup. And as I mentioned, we are going to get into some more Super Bowl coverage as this time goes on. You guys are probably going to want plenty of it. It's always the wait. And the Pro Bowl, I'm sorry, it doesn't, it, it just doesn't hold you over. It doesn't do anything. Um, but we will be here for you. We're going to have four episodes, including this one, to, t- to cover it. We have this Friday, next Tuesday, and next Friday. And we have our third annual Super Bowl special coming up. So plenty of coverage coming up. But with that, we are going to move on to recap some of these conference championships. We're going to start with the AFC championship and more specifically the officiating in it. They have faced some blowback and we are going to talk about just how much water that holds. That's next. You're listening to the Fumble Rooski podcast. You are listening to the Fumble Rooski podcast by Power 88 and Secret Weapon Consulting. Adam Wright, CJ Medeiros, Justin Tucker, special guests Kevin Valentin and Kyle Dabro. So we are on to the AFC Championship. And as I mentioned, in specific, the officiating. So um, the referees are under fire from that 23-20 to 20 outcome. Chiefs... Um, who were hosting the game, uh, they came out victorious, and they are going to be Super Bowl champ. Uh, excuse me, su- uh, representing for the Super Bowl. And there were several calls that are under question. And just to, I jotted down a few. There were the Chiefs and their seemingly extra third and nine play. Uh, there was also what looked like 
a possible missed Trey Hendrickson uh, who was being held, uh, possibly being held. Uh, there was an intentional grounding on Joe Burrow and Samahe Pirine seemed to be in the area. Uh, there was also a missed block in the back on special teams. Um, so, and of course, there was also the unnecessary roughness called for Patrick Mahomes, which put the with which put the team in field goal position for the Chiefs to win it. So, guys, we'll go around the table. Is it or is it not an overreaction to possibly blame the referees for the outcome of the AFC Championship? So, I mean, quite honestly, I, I think it's a bit of an overreaction. I mean, we're talking about Joe Burrow having to make those two definitive mistakes in terms of the interceptions, right? The refs had nothing to do with him throwing the ball and making a bad read. Then you have the Bengals' ineptitude in the first quarter to be able to put points on the board. That has nothing to do with the referees. You're talking about the offensive line performance of the Bengals allowing Joe Burrow to be hit 12 times and sacked five. That has nothing to do with the referees. You know, sure, when you go and you magnify some of the things, I mean, missed calls are a part of the game. It happens in all sports. I mean, look at LeBron James the other day in the NBA. Clearly a foul on his wrist against the Celtics. There was no call there. I know the NFL in terms of the playoffs, it's a lot more of a magnitude. But in reality, the the Bengals sealed their own fate. They did not perform in the first half. They waited too long to turn on the offense. And, yes, there were some questionable instances with the referees. But, again, Joe Burrow was solely responsible for those interceptions. And that offensive line played poorly pretty much every single game except the Buffalo game the week before. Yeah, to, to solely blame the refs uh, for what happened in that game with the Bengals losing <laughs> that AFC Championship game, uh, to me, uh, that's a bit of a reach. Uh, like Kev already alluded to, the Bengals' offensive line did not win the battle on the line of scrimmage. They got absolutely dominated by that Chiefs front four. And I'm going to be honest with you, I think when it came to the Bengals' play calling and just their playbook in general in that game, they didn't make any adjustments. They should have been they should have been more heavily focused on protecting Joe and giving more time with him to work with. Like Kev said, he got sacked five times, got hit a dozen times on top of that. And in some of the most critical elements of the game, they just weren't able to execute. And some of the play calls and just some of the play design, I think, could have been improved. You know, when you look at the referee aspect, yeah, there were definitely some missed calls. Um, to me, the the block in the back, uh, there were two of them on that punt return that I saw that weren't called. Uh, the intentional grounding I thought was a bad one as well because, like you said, Samaji Pirine was in the area or in the vicinity. And even though that I, I thought the, uh, the Joseph Asai one where he pushed Patrick Mahomes out of bounds – and set the Chiefs up for a game-winning field goal, even though that I thought that one was a good call. It just seems as if, from an outside perspective, looking at this game, it did seem like the rest were tilted in a little bit of a favor towards the Chiefs. But I do not believe that that indication or just that general sense uh, outweighs the Bengals' mistakes in that game. Like you said, Kev, they had turnovers. Joe wasn't his best. Their offensive line lost the battle on the line of scrimmage. And as far as I see it, they weren't able to really bring a consistent pass rush against Patrick Mahomes, who was limited with that ankle injury. So to me, as far as I see it, the Bengals had way too many opportunities in that game to take advantage of. They missed those opportunities. And that's why they're going home and the chiefs are advancing to the super bowl. That's just plainly how I see it. Yeah. 
CJ? So I had to think about this. And uh, if I'm being honest, I think saying that the game was rigged is, is a reach, a huge reach, in fact. And look, I mean, yeah, the refs are going to make mistakes, but we've said this before, you know, the Patriots, you know, in the, in the big Hunter Henry no call, how we've said it sucks, but you can't, you should never be in a point where a blown call can decide the game. You know, I mean, you never should let it get there. And when you really think about it, uh, everybody says, oh, Samaje Piran was in the area. Yeah. A lot of people seem to miss the intentional portion of intentional grounding. You know, plain and simple, it didn't, you know, it didn't get past the line and it wasn't a catchable ball. So, yeah, that, that's grounding. Furthermore, a lot of uh, a lot of Bengals fans that I actually know have taken to their keyboards to say this game was rigged because the league wanted a, a Kelsey Brothers Super Bowl. I'm like, well, actually, most fans, the vast majority of NFL fans wanted a Bengals Niners Super Bowl. So I'm so wouldn't it make more sense for the league to rig it for the Bengals and Niners? I'm just saying. I, I'm I'm just I'm just asking questions here. And look. I know we all want to blame the refs, but I just I, I can't agree with it. I, I I really can't. And like like uh, Kevin and Kyle mentioned before, certainly doesn't help. You know when Joe Burrow gets sacked five times and throws two picks. If you want to blame anyone, I would say you blame the Bengals O line. You're muted. I, I thought you were going to say my name first before I go. <laughs> so you're just going to yeah. He was waiting I, for it. It looks like you were going to go on a tangent. So oh, I just, man, I was like, let the, everybody let him go. Aside and take him just the let him go. He was rubbing his hands together. He was ready to go. For just those of you who don't know, just like the typical Bengals, just like the typical Bengals, don't blame yourselves for causing those penalties. Don't blame yourselves for throwing two picks. Don't blame yourself for doing a roughing the passer. Don't blame yourself for the intentional grounding. Noah, we were robbed by the refs. Mm-mm-mm. It's the refs' fault. Maybe if you didn't leave it up to the refs, you wouldn't be in this situation. But um, it's neither here nor there. It's not the refs' fault. In the beginning of the first half, you had an opportunity to stop the Chiefs from scoring a touchdown. It was fourth down. If you turn the, if you stop them, you get the ball back. And okay, field position not the best, but again, they get no points. Guess what happens? touchdown kansas city immediately when that happened i looked at, at cj i looked at adam i said let's go because i needed that touchdown and i knew from that point on i have no faith in the Bengals winning this game i knew the chiefs were going to win it because they couldn't stop patrick mahomes when it mattered the most when they needed to stop him to get the momentum back they just couldn't whether it was self-inflicted or patrick mahomes just making better plays that second touchdown that he threw between the defender having tipped it or whatever that was an amazing throw by him. But, again, it just resulted in Patrick Mahomes making a better play. I'm not uh, I'm not sympathetic towards the Bengals, but I will admit if the refs cost them. But they didn't cost them this game. I believe it was all down to the Bengals' ineptitude, if anything. But it's the Bengals, so there's nothing new there. I'm not surprised by it. I'm not shocked by it. I expected it. And I'm so happy they're out. They were so obnoxious the entire time they were in the playoffs. So I'm glad that they're gone. But no, I don't blame the refs for what happened. It was 
100% the Bengals' fault that these things happen, not the refs. Coming from the unbiased Ravens fan. Yeah, no <laughs> bias whatsoever. No <laughs> bias whatsoever. All right. Listen, it, it, it is so – because the officiating, there's no two ways about it. Very, very questionable. But you got to control what you can control. And when you go from allowing one sack and flexing it to the entire league that your backups can do all of this to the very next week allowing five and allowing your quarterback to get hit 12 times, that's a bit of a problem, especially when – their interior defensive lineman Chris Jones got eight of them. That is, that is, that really is something. And I, I, I kind of alluded to this before the game, and I was so close to picking the Chiefs to win. I was so close, and I didn't. And you know, you go from, you go from facing a Bills defensive line that was very middling uh, when it comes to pass rush to the number two pass rushing team in the Chiefs, then it's it's going to come off as a little bit of fool's gold. And that's kind of the issue you had here. Joe Burrow was not able to get the ball out. He could, he could had a defender in his face every other play, and he also made some mistakes of his own with two picks. And when you keep the, when you keep the game close like this, then you leave it in the hands of the officials, and then they're going to make a call that you don't like because they ultimately are human. I've stressed this for years now. For every single questionable play, that one play in 2018 where the Saints were robbed of a Super Bowl, where the 2017 AFC Championship, the Jaguars always say they were robbed of a they were robbed of a Super Bowl appearance. You can't leave it that close for that to happen. You just can't. Because this is going to happen. Control what you can control. That's kind of that's ba- that's my basic two cents on that. You you need you can't I mean there were a lot of mistakes that you made that you made Bengals that you could have reversed, that you could have fixed. Also, I'm sorry, but that one play where I, and I'm completely blanking on his name right now, uh, where Mahomes got shoved when he was out of bounds. Joseph Asai. Oh, Joseph Osai. Joseph Osai. Yeah. That was, while it wasn't the hardest push, he still did it. Can't happen. You can't, yeah. like, you can't do that. You can't do that. You, mm. you, he may or may not have been frustrated, but this is like, uh, it would have gone to mm-hmm. overtime. It, no, it wasn't of. Adam, <laughs> I do want to say one thing, though, about yeah. you know, the whole thing with Joseph Osai. Even if it was a terrible call, you as a defender have to know the state of the game. You have to know this is an offensive-friendly league, and the quarterbacks, especially the superstars, are going to get every questionable call. You even if they're not quite out of bounds, even if they have like a foot in still, you can't touch them. Even if they're right there, you can't touch them. You kind of just have to like body them out of bounds. You don't put your hands on them. Like I said, bad call or not, you as a defender, you have to know this. I agree. And what I'm basic, what I'm trying to say is you need to understand the context of the game when that when you do something like that. Because 
he because if he just didn't touch him, then they would have been out of field goal range. They would have been they wouldn't they would not have been in field goal range, and there would have been a chance they stopped them. You get the ball back, you run the clock out, and you're playing in overtime. And then it's anyone's game at that point. But they didn't. He <clears throat> you that's a that's a careless mistake. You can't blame the refs on that one. It may have been an iffy one, but you can't leave it. You can't. You can't leave it up to the up to the officials to decide your fate when it gets that close. You control what you can control, and you can control whether or not your offensive line allows five sacks. That's just. Hey, uh, I, I just want to make one final point. Yeah, if Bengal fans are going at it this way, where they're going to blame the officials for how this game transpired. I mean, guys, we could look back at the tape a couple of weeks ago when the Bengals were playing the Ravens. Oh, when, oh, Tyler Huntley, when Tyler Huntley fumbled the ball and Sam Hubbard is running it back the other way, are we just going to completely forget that Mark Andrews, who was chasing him down the entire time, got legitimately pushed in the back and there was no block in the back call there? But I, I mean, I imagine, I know, I know this for a fact. Bengal fans definitely knew that they got away with one there because everybody knew that that was a block in the back because Mark Andrews was going to catch him. Yep. But in in that case, okay, we'll just kind of turn the cheek and we won't say anything about that. But even though that, that I'm of the mindset that there were some questionable calls by the referees here, uh, there were some missed calls. There's no doubt about that. But to solely blame the rest for the Bengals losing this game, if the Bengals fans are going at it in that type of if they're just saying that for their rhetoric, that's not that's not the right way. You know that you got away with one in the wild card round against the Ravens. It happens. Sometimes the calls just don't go your way. And like Kev said, like pretty much everybody else has said here, you got to control what you can control, limit your mistakes. And the Bengals had opportunities to take advantage of. They didn't. And that's why they're going home. It's honestly that simple. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't have said it any better there. Um, but to change gears, we're going to go to the NFC Championship. So where the AFC Championship, the Bengals left it too close to win the game. The 49ers, a uh, different story. We'll get to that next. And also their quarterback situation. Now that Brock Purdy's going to be out six months. That's next. This is the Fumble Rooski Podcast. This is the Fumble Rooski podcast by Power 88 and Secret Weapon Consulting. Adam Wright, Justin Tucker, CJ Medeiros, special guests Kevin Valentin and Kyle Dabro. So, the 49ers are not going to the Super Bowl like many of us predicted. 
So the final score, the Philly, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles won 31 to seven, but in the loss, quarterback Brock Purdy went out with a UCL tear, and he is expected to be out six months. He played through the tear, but the entire first half he was not he was not playing. Um, but with Purdy out and Trey Lance also rehabbing from a second ankle surgery and Jimmy Garoppolo uh, recovering from a broken foot and set to hit free agency, this situation for the uh, the 49ers is kind of up in the air. So what is next for the Niners in their quarterback room? Kev, I'll start with you. So, I mean, you can really look at this one of two ways, right? Obviously, Trey Lance has got the inexperience here, right? So that was your your golden child. You drafted him. You traded up to get him. He unfortunately gets hurt within the second game of the season. You roll the dice with Jimmy Garoppolo in the offseason to get him back on a minimum deal or somewhat minimum deal with incentives. He ends up getting hurt. And then you're, you're stuck with your third string, right? Moving forward. Jimmy's probably going to chase a bag somewhere else. If I'm the 49ers, I'm trying to get in on that because the only consistency in the 49ers quarterback room is injury at this point. Unfortunately, that's just it is what it is over the last couple of seasons. Trey Lance is still on that rookie deal. You try to bring Jimmy back. If Brock is still going to be out this long, I mean, we, we, we talked about six months. That could be even longer whether you add rehab or any complications. So we don't know what's going to happen with Brock. That's a baseball injury with that elbow, with that, with that ligament. So I don't know what's going to happen. But with this coming upcoming um, quarterback draft, there are a lot of good prospects in this. But the issue is San Francisco doesn't have a first or a second round pick, but they have multiple thirds. So do you package some of those to trade up to get somebody, whoever's left in that first round? Do you trade up to get somebody on the second day in the second round? I don't necessarily know. But if I'm John Lynch, I'm 100% looking at at least entertaining the thought of bringing back Jimmy to say, listen, you see what we have here. You got to be able to either compete for Trey or, or with the job for Trey, or you accept, you know, you're going to be a backup or they chase somebody out there in, in the draft, because I don't think free agency is an option, quite frankly, with whatever's happening with Lamar Jackson and that free agency, Baltimore's already committed to at least giving him everything that he wants. It's just a matter of how much will be guaranteed. And then you got Derek Carr out there on the other side. No one knows what's going to happen with him. Vegas is probably going to cut him. Do you take a gamble on him, an experienced quarterback? But he's already been proven with talent that he can't get it done, but he's never had a good defense. So it's not like John Lynch and that front office don't have options. It's just a matter of which route they want to go on. Kyle already knows I'm a big Jimmy Garoppolo supporter. I know that he gets injured a little bit more frequently than most people would like to admit, but he's a winner. And statistics prove it. Winning percentage proves it. His career record proves it. Jimmy can get it done. It's just a matter of can he make it to the end of the season to do that. That is a very p- fair point that Jimmy Garoppolo, while he hasn't had the physical abilities, this guy has been has proven to be a winner. He's won everywhere along the lines. But uh, Kyle, what are your thoughts? No, I, when it comes to Kevin's sentiment, I, I share it pretty significantly. I mean, for me, when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo and his status with the 49ers, I think at best it's like maybe like a five ten percent chance he goes back to the 49ers even with this development with Brock Purdy and a torn UCL. Uh, I just see Jimmy looking at the landscape of opportunities at a quarterback position 
I can tell you right now, it's not going to be San Francisco, especially if he could get a pretty significant contract. And it's basically, as you guys outlined, wherever Jimmy has gone, success has followed. And if he were to find a new team this offseason, I think that he could definitely bring that opportunity and bring that success along with him wherever he goes. For me, when it comes to the 49ers and how they're going to handle it this offseason, I think their answer is right inside the building. I think that they have two legitimate quarterbacks that they could potentially utilize next year. And I think what actually is going to take place this offseason is, well, first of all, Brock's going to recover from his UCL tear. He's got to get surgery on that. He's got to get that rehab done first. And, I mean, if we go by the six-month timeline, that would set him up for the end of July, which is basically right when training camp starts. I imagine the 49ers are going to be a little bit hesitant or they're going to slow roll it with him and kind of ease him back into the swing of things once we get into August and then we get into some preseason games. But as of right now, I think it's going to come down to Kyle Shanahan making a decision between Brock Purdy and Trey Lance as the starting quarterback for the 49ers next year. For me personally, I would tend to side with Brock just because he has the experience there. The injury component, it's for both of those guys. Both of those guys have been hurt and, with both of these guys actually suffering significant injuries, it's kind of crazy that the 49ers just got a bad luck of the – they just got a bad roll of the dice. But Brock proved to me that he can run the offense effectively. It's not to say that Trey can't. It's just that Brock has a little bit more of a working resume and has more working experience than Trey does. Trey brings great athleticism to that position, kind of almost similar to what maybe they had with Colin Kaepernick back five, six years ago. It's just that Trey's still a little bit of an unknown. And coming into uh, this season, Brock was pretty much an, an unknown because he was the last pick in this past year's draft. Yet, I thought he played significantly well the way that the 49ers ran their offense. And you know, as we get closer to, to next season, that's going to be the question that the 49ers are going to have to answer internally. Who are they going to go with? Is it going to be Trey? Is it going to be Brock? I think Brock proved it to me that he can lead that offense effectively Outside of the one NFC Championship game, he never lost them a game. So him being a starter, I, I thought he was extremely successful. I thought the system that they had in place uh, that Kyle Shanahan created with that offense, I think it's a good formula for them working forward. But I wouldn't be surprised if we do see some sort of quarterback competition between Trey and Brock. And we'll just kind of see where it goes from there. But the injury component to Brock being out six months, you know, maybe there's a possibility that Trey can get some reps. And I think the 49ers would be smart to do their due diligence on that simply because Trey's an athlete, definitely more than Brock, but Brock definitely proved that he's a competent quarterback despite being the last pick in last year's draft. So that's how I see it. Oh, well, Trey Lance is an athlete and with unbelievable abilities, and he's also their prized third overall pick. So they kind of have to give him some sort of shot and try to figure out if this guy if this guy has it or not. But CJ, what do you think? I think there's an option you guys haven't touched yet. Now, as you know, Tom Brady will be a free agent. And as you know, he... <laughs> oh Stole my God, my Tucker does not don't, like don't that. Don't do this to me. Don't do this to me. Oh, I'm going to do it to you, Tucker. <laughs> oh, I'm going to do it. You <laughs> had to say it like that. Okay, yeah, that sounded wrong. <laughs> no homo, no homo. Okay, but see, <laughs> here's the deal. Many people in the NFL are 
they, they believe that he wants to play for another year. And it's not if he's going to play, it's where he's going to play. I don't expect him to stay in Tampa because I'm not a fan of their head coach. Their offense is falling apart around him. And their defense regressed horrifically. And when you see Brock Purdy's hurt and Trey Lance thus far has not been good and Jimmy G is out the door, if I'm Tom Brady, I'm taking every chance to leap at San Francisco. But let's, but that's just conjecture. Let's say he doesn't go there or he goes somewhere else or resigns with Tampa or whatever. I'd say you go with Brock Purdy because the Niners locker room themselves is not sold on Trey Lance. Trey Lance really never even impressed even last training camp. Uh, And you look at Purdy, who got you to the NFC Championship game, and he can only improve. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, he's just a system quarterback. He's up there. You can just plug and play anyone. You can just put anyone in that offense, and it'll be good. I'm not entirely sure because Josh Johnson didn't look too good. I'm just saying. And when you see how Brock Purdy played, how he literally toughed it out, trying to play through a UCL tear, didn't quite work out. I, I, I think the starting job is his to lose. And I think you have to communicate that with Lance. Be- and like, uh, like Kyle brought up, how even though he's going to be out for like five, six months, that's still going to put him like right at the beginning of the training camp at the end of July or more realistically mid-August. I do think that he's going to be uh, ready, though. You know, probably for the start of the season. I, I'd say there's like a 70% chance of that, you know, barring any major complications. But I still think, no matter what, the job is Purdy's to lose. All right. Talk. Okay, I'm going to say this once, and I'm going to just go right past it because I cannot believe we're actually having this conversation. Tom Brady needs to retire Go collect those AARP checks and don't come back. I'm done. <laughs> Thank you, Tuck. Thank you, Tuck. I'm done having this conversation. I have, I have a slight objection to that, but continue. I've had <laughs> so I do I. Understand why these two Patriots fans continually talk to me about Tom Brady playing another year. It's like they want him to die on the field. I don't it's know. Not why. These two three Patriots of fans, it's the entire NFL media, my guy. Just There's a quote from Rocky Four. Where Let him go uh, raise his kid. villain said Let something. Do anything else. But that's just my personal opinion. Tom Brady, please retire. You've done enough. We all know you, you're the GOAT of the quarterbacks. We know you're one of the greatest of all time. Just let it go. Please stop. Because if you actually do get injured on the field, that's that's your fault at that point. But enough about that. As much as I – it's kind of hard to defend Trey Lance for the position – because he's he's supposed to be the franchise guy, and he's been outplayed by two other quarterbacks, which is kind of nerve-wracking if you're the front office of the San Francisco 49ers. It makes you hesitant to get rid of Jimmy G, even though you know you're probably going to have to do it. And you don't even know what you got in Brock Purdy to the point where he could actually be your franchise guy right now or the proverbial backup. So the fact that you've seen a lot more franchise potential out of Purdy, but you haven't seen that out of Trey Lance, due to injury or inconsistent play, it, it makes you wonder, did we make an, a mistake at the number three overall pick le- last year? And it makes me contemplate whether or not they should pick another quarterback in the draft. 
I'm still I'm still saying it, it, the jury's still out on Trey Lance. I think give him another year to see what he's got. He just came off a horrendous injury and basically missed another season. And I still think you have another shot to do something with him. I believe he still can be the franchise guy. I just think you need to change or tweak the offense a bit more around him. I don't think he I don't think he'll be a bad quarterback. I'm not sure if he'll be a franchise guy, but I think he'll be a solid quarterback. Will he be better than Brock, than Brock Purdy is the question. I have no idea. Brock Purdy looked very good un, under that San Francisco offense. He looked very good to the point where he's actually in the conversation for offensive rookie of the year, even though he didn't start all of his games. That's how good he looked. And so when I look at it, I'm like, I know Brock Purdy did very good, and I know Brock Purdy just came off an NFC championship game. But he's injured, and he's going to be out for six months anyway, so you might as well start off with voluntary OTAs with Trey Lance as your starter to see what he's got. And if he's looked like a more improved – or, like, start off with Trey Lance and see what he's got, because I think he'll be right just in time for, I want to say, uh, mini camp or, like, training camp in August. If he looks like the guy now and he's able to do what he was supposed to do as a franchise quarterback, I say go with Trey Lance. And if Brock Purdy continues to perform despite the injury, I'm like – Put Trey Lance as the backup for now, but either or, I don't see Jimmy G's or where's excuse me, porn star Jimmy staying there for much longer. And uh, Tom Brady, do not, do not go to San Francisco. Stay your ass away from Santa Clara and just retire and go into the booth like we all know you need to. That's all I got. This is going to be the second episode in a row where I point out that that porn star said every time everything I touch turns to gold, and then four weeks later he tore his ACL. Um, <laughs> but, okay, so looking at Brock Purdy and Trey Lance, these guys – so one of them is the third overall pick. You have to give him a shot. You just have to. And you also have Brock Purdy who – under the limited amount of time he played, looked good. They deserve another shot. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo is probably out the door because, again, he's he's in to, to get a starting job. It looks he's proven to be a winner. He's convinced the rest of the league. He's gonna he's probably out the door. Um. That being said, these guys, those two, aren't really ready. Trey Lance, absolutely not. He's not ready yet. And Brock Purdy, he still has a recover. He has to recover from from this uh, from this UCL injury, and after that, perhaps he could use some more development. And you look at this roster around us, which is absolutely top to bottom, besides the quarterback position, stacked. You have a defense that has looked awesome in the past couple of years. You have an offensive line that can protect anybody. You have. Playmakers everywhere when it comes to the offensive skill positions. So looking at that quarterback position, if there's anything I've learned in sports, it's that your window is almost never as long as you think it's going to be, unless you're the New England Patriots. (laughs) Um, Oh, my God. (laughs) It's never as long. It's it's almost never as long as you think it is. So you need to go out and try and get over the hump because don't look now, but this 49ers team has been to three out of the last four NFC championships and has still failed to get over the hump and win a Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. So what do I look at? 
I look at these two players who could potentially be on the move. You have, yes, a Tom Brady. You have an Aaron Rodgers who both could be, could very well be moving, be changing teams this off season. You need to invest in one of those two guys and go out and complete this team, which seems to only be missing the quarterback. That seemed to be their Achilles heel the past few years. Get that quarterback, go win a championship, and you can do that for the next one to two years while you're waiting for one of those two guys to develop in Brock Purdy or Trey Lance. Because you you can't keep on you can't keep on fl- floundering back and forth between these guys when you have such a great roster. And I haven't even mentioned the coaching, which has been brilliant on the offensive side. You've got to, you've got to go out and get one of those guys because you may miss your chance to contend once once they do find their quarterback of the future. Because maybe it'll be too late. Players will age. I know Christian McCaffrey is not going to be healthy forever. I mean, that was a that was a complete surprise out of left field, but he he did stay healthy. And they have had issues with health on the on that team. So who knows how long it's going to last? Take advantage of it. That's basically, you know. Adam, please, Adam, please tell me you're not saying Tom Brady should go to San Francisco. I understand Aaron Rodgers, and I'll let that one slide, even though I don't think he should go. They have two quarterbacks that could be considered franchise guy. They don't need Tom Brady. Let him retire. Let him go. The boyhood dream is over. Just let it go. Let him raise his kid. Please let it go. No, I, I I couldn't I couldn't agree more, Tuck. I actually I, I actually have a counterpoint to the Aaron Rodgers situation. So Kyle and I actually talked about this earlier in the week as well. San Fran's got some big issues on this team in free general. Agents. They have a lot of key free agents that are going to either be leaving or San Fran's going to have to make a definitive decision on who they are going to extend. Not to mention today, D'Amico Ryan's just left. He just signed a six-year deal to become the head coach of the Houston Texans. So a lot of those key defensive pieces may not even come back. So in terms of what they have to do in terms of shelling out to re-sign players, Aaron Rodgers is due somewhere up to $50 million a season for the next two years. How is that going to happen? How is that going to affect the front office in terms of the decision-making? And I'm actually going to disagree with the Trey Lance point as well in terms of he's the third overall pick. He, he's earned his spot. I've said this a multitude of times. I don't care if you're drafted number one. If you suck or if you're not available, it's unfortunate. The NFL is a business. If you're not there and you're not reporting for your job, point blank period, I can't continue to pay you. I can't continue to give you opportunity after opportunity. Mr. Irrelevant, 200 and whatever number overall pick. He's getting paid pennies compared to Trey Lance. If he did good, why am I going to continue to ride out? Let me ride that Trey Lance uh, value on the trade market. Oh, he was a number overall, number three overall pick. He's athletic. Try to get something for him. Try to acquire something in free agency while dumping him off. There's too many narratives at the quarterback position for San Francisco to like mainly focus on like Rodgers or Brady. Plus, when it comes to Brady, he's looking at schools in Miami. He already no. got Giselle taking Rob taking his money out of his pockets for child support. He's not going to go across the whole country and, and and go play quarterback in San Francisco. It just it, it's not feasible for those two. At least in what I think is not possible. I think San Fran's got to figure it out draft-wise or somehow convince Jimmy Garoppolo get another couple porn stars in there cuz 
That you can't afford to let him leave, man. I don't know what it is. That boy just find a way to win. From from their front office perspective, more than likely their answer is already within in the house. Simply because if you were to bring in somebody like Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, I mean, I don't know what the specific contracts of Trey and Brock are, but more than likely, it would though bringing in somebody like Rodgers or Brady, their contract would dwarf what both of those guys are going to make next year combined anyway and for the foreseeable future if they were to really go out of their way and bring in Rodgers or Brady for an extended period of time I think the way that I see it is look you know Tom Brady was not Tom Brady that we know of right now he was that sixth round pick and Drew Bledsoe when he was the starter for the Patriots way back when he was I believe one of the very first quarterbacks that ever had a hundred million dollar contract yeah he was the first and when Brady and when Brady came in and replaced him and Belichick decided to roll, roll with Brady instead of Belichick, we could have kind of a similar type of situation here. Obviously, the dynamics with what the 49ers have is a little bit different because Jimmy G doesn't have the, I would say, the stature that Drew Bledsoe had at his respective point in his career. But nonetheless, you have Brock Purdy, who's Mr. Irrelevant. Nobody thinks that he's irrelevant anymore after what he just did the last two, two and a half months. And with the way that he played throughout the last two months, I think if given the opportunity, as long as he recovers from his, from his injury, from his uh, UCL injury, I think that they could use that extra money in having Brock as the quarterback on that type of rookie deal, instead of really mortgaging your future by potentially letting some free agents go by bringing in a big name quarterback. I think that you could use that extra cap space and that extra money to potentially entice guys that are on their unrestricted free agents list back into the fold. Like Jimmy Ward, he's one of their defensive captains. If you keep Brock or Trey for the foreseeable future and you stay away from somebody like Aaron Rodgers, I mean, you're already up in that scenario with cap space. So I think their answer is within house. It's just whether or not that the front office and Kyle Shanahan are on the same page there. And that's something that's going to kind of work itself out in the offseason. All right. Yeah. Listen, so regarding the regarding whether or not their their uh their answer is in-house, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. Um I'm just what I'm just worried about is the fact that this uh this 49ers team is the team around it is looking to win now. And right. I'm just worried, especially in the NFL, things can change on a dime. A team could be a 12-win team one one year and then be a four-win team the next. So while they're waiting for these quarterbacks to develop, whether it be Trey Lance, whether it be Brock, uh, Brock Purdy being the real deal, once they figure that out, it could be too late. And I I just think they're in a similar – they could be – in a similar, in a way, position as the Rams were at one point. They couldn't quite get over the hump with Jared Goff. They brought in Matthew Stafford, and everything clicked, and they won a Super Bowl. Something like that. It could work out. The only thing is, is whether or not the 49ers have a certain type of mindset, and that is we're in win-right-now mode, where basically we're only looking like the next one, two to three years out. Or are you willing to be a little bit more patient, allow these younger quarterbacks to prosper within your own system to develop them? And as far as I see it, the 
developmental system that the 49ers have in place with their coaching personnel seems to be pretty competent as far as I see it, because no matter whatever, whatever sort of quarterback that they've put in, they've been largely successful. The only thing is injuries have kind of plagued that position, but maybe they play the long game instead. It's just, you're right in the aspect of they have a limited amount of time with the players that they have that are just a part of their core roster. But relatively speaking, if you look at the star players on this 49ers team, they're all relatively young still. And as far as I see it, I think that defense can rally, you know, can rally around a younger quarterback. And, you know, if the defense has to take a little bit more of the pressure for the first couple of years and allow Brock to kind of go through some of the developmental years of being a quarterback in the NFL, I think it's definitely worth the risk there. There's, there's no scenario where there's no risk whatsoever. There's always going to be some sort of risk that you take for whatever sort of strategy you want for the future. But as far as I see it, the one that makes the most sense based on a cap space situation, I think you go with the younger prospects at the quarterback position. I I, I think going, you know, going into the free agent market or, or looking at somebody like Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, I think that would just be, I think that would stunt the development and the growth of the team. And I think that there's a chance where they could potentially be in competition for multiple Super Bowls in five to six years, instead of maybe really only being competitive for one or two for the next two years. And then you go through some sort of rebuild after it's, you know, you're going to have to weigh those decisions in the off season, but I guess time will tell in that regard with what the 49ers yeah. do. Yeah. And I think what this segment proved, because we have a lot of different viewpoints here, is that this 49ers quarterback situation really is up in the air. Mm-hmm. I mean, there you could come up with five or six different answers just sitting here thinking off the top of your head. Um, but I do, we, I do want to change gears here. Uh, and move into you guys' guest segment. So the neighborhood podcasts are coming together to talk about. So we're around the ours, we're at the all-star break uh, for the NBA. And every year you guys go through some surprising and disappointing teams. You guys are gonna get a taste of that uh, coming up next. So don't go anywhere. This is the Fumble Rooski podcast. This is the Fumble Rooski podcast by Power Radiate and Secret Weapon Consulting, Adam Wright, Justin Tucker, CJ Madero, special guests, Kevin Valentin, and Kyle Dabro. All right, so we have officially reached the guest segment of our show, sponsored by Secret Weapon Consulting for business plans, secret shoppers, bar spotting, server and manager training, and so much more. Visit www.secretweaponconsulting.com 
And without further ado, your boys from the Neighborhood Podcast have the most surprising and disappointing teams for the NBA so far this season. Guys, what do you got? Uh, I mean, specifically, we always cover, like, like, um, like we talked about at the beginning, uh, the most surprising team thus far the first half of the year and our most disappointing. I know Kyle and I normally have a couple different aspects, but I, I feel like everybody here can agree. The most surprising team in the NBA has to be the Sacramento Kings. I mean, they have not made the playoffs in almost 20 years. They have been the epitome of ineptitudes between free agency, drafting, I think, with six or seven consecutive power forward centers over the last, I don't even know, like five or six years. I mean, obviously, you trade, trade Tyrese Halliburton. You signed Harrison Barnes a few years ago that who seemed to be a little bit past his prime. And then, of course, at the end of the day, De'Aaron Fox is just absolutely killing it with Demonis Sabonis, and they are third in the Western Conference. I can guarantee you nobody in the world thought that this team would be as good as they are right now. And Mike Brown is 100% coaching those guys up perfectly for what they, for what that system seems to be working with. And then for me, most disappointing players, I can kind of chalk it up to two. Um, it would be either the Phoenix Suns or the Portland Trailblazers. The only reason I say the Suns is because obviously we know that they were a consistent team that was constantly the last two or three years competing for an NBA championship, falling short against Milwaukee. And then, of course, losing in Game 7 to my Dallas Mavericks. But I think I'm going to go with Portland. Damian Lillard was out majority of the year last year. Anthony Simons gets re-signed. You trade for Jeremy Grant to add a little bit of depth on the offensive side to go and get rebounds, get you a little bit more of a third option. And then, of course, you have Josh Hart and a couple of other role players. Dame is basically averaging, over the last 10 games, 35-plus points per game. He is just logo Lillard, Dame time, the, the, the epitome of a superstar who's committed to loyalty, but it looks like Portland's front office just can't seem to get it right and finding him some help. So, I mean, at, at a 24 and 26 record right now, Kyle had said it before we started recording, there's kind of like a backlog between the 12th and 5th seed in terms of like within three or four games of each other. So there's still time for them to turn it around, but I definitely thought Portland would be a lot more competitive thus far in this season. Yeah, and then for me, I'm going to basically piggyback off of what Kev said with the most surprising team uh, in the NBA is, and that's definitely the Sacramento Kings as far as I see it. And, I mean, guys, I'm going to just ask you guys straight up. Did any of you ever think that the Kings would be in a situation where they wouldn't be not only competitive in the Western Conference, that they'd be top three in the Western Conference? Not not top three. I think think Not in my lifetime. Guys, like (laughs) – you know, to, to like put this in perspective, th- the last time that they were competitive in my memory was like 02. That was the Chris Weber, Vladi Divac, Mike Bibby era. I mean, that was a good team. But like they just couldn't get, they couldn't get over the hump against Shaq and Kobe. I mean, look, if you lose to a duo like that, I mean, there's nothing to be ashamed of. You're talking about two of the greatest players that ever played in NBA history in Kobe and Shaq. But their last playoff appearance was in 2005, 2006. And Kevin and I have like this running joke when it comes to really bad teams uh, in the NBA. We basically consider them a black hole. It's where basically careers in the NBA go to die because, I mean, there was a long stretch where why would you want to go to Sacramento? There's no reason for that. You're just there for basically a check. And all right, once my contract goes out, all right, we'll, we'll see what we can do or you know, if he doesn't want to stay there that long, all right, we'll request a trade and we'll get you out of here. But now that the Kings are actually in a competitive space in the Western Conference, they have a really good young core around De'Aaron Fox, 
DeMontis Sabonis, you got Kevin Herter, you got some vets in there like Harrison Barnes, like Kevin just alluded to. They have a good system to work with. And we have a coach like Mike Brown at the helm, who is a veteran coach in the NBA. I think that's a good dynamic. And I think that's that's a good formula for the Kings moving forward. Do I think that they're going to the NBA finals this year? No. But the fact that they're competitive and they're in a top three situation right now in the NBA, it's something to be commended of. And I mean, to me, it was an easy pick, you know, with the most surprising theme being the Kings. They've definitely earned it as far as I've seen it. And when it comes to the more disappointing teams in the NBA, guys, I'm going to check my bias here. Look, I am a Lakers fan. The fact that they are the third worst team in the Western Conference, I'm actually going to select them as my most disappointing team in the NBA. Now, I fully understand that coming into this season, there wasn't much of an expectation with the Lakers being a championship caliber team. Maybe at the far end, you can maybe say that they'd be somewhat of a competitive team for the playoffs. They're Mm -hmm. not at that. And that's despite the fact that you have LeBron James, who just turned 38, and he is playing like a man possessed. Guys, he has put up multiple 40-point performances. He is single-handedly carrying the team on his back, and yet he has no help around him whatsoever. Anthony Davis can't stay healthy. Their next best options on that roster are Dennis Schroeder, Patrick Beverly, Russell Westbrook, who's actually having a pretty decent year uh, coming off the bench. He's definitely somebody that should be considered for sixth man of the year as far as I see it. I don't know if he'll win it, but definitely he definitely deserves to be in that conversation. But it's just too hit or miss for me. You know, LeBron, I know what I'm going to get from him, despite the fact that he's 38 and he's basically at the tail end of his career. It's just they're not playing consistent basketball. LeBron is, but at a certain point, like he's going to run out of gas. And, you know, unfortunately, you're seeing these great performances from LeBron end up in losses. You know, I don't know the stats specifically, but whenever the Lakers are playing and he gets 40 plus points, I think they have a sub 500 record. And that's unfortunate because LeBron is still playing at a peak level, even though I think a lot of people would consider 38 years old being out of a player's prime. And, you know, with them really only being a couple positions back from teams like the Rockets and the Spurs, that's not a situation that you want to be in moving forward. And um, I don't really see it improving anytime soon. So the Lakers, they're still a competitive team, but they just can't get over the hump to win games consistently. And, Unfortunately, I do see them as the most disappointing team in the NBA, despite there not even being that great of an expectation coming in. It's just unfortunate to see them in this situation where you have LeBron who's playing out of his mind, and it's just ending in an unfortunate situation where they're just losing games consistently. So, yeah, my most surprising team, definitely the Kings, and my most disappointing is the Lakers. Hmm. You guys have the floor. Like, If you you guys want to chime in, go right ahead. Can I can I give you one for surprising? Sure. Of course. This is your show, right. so go right ahead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, sure. this is your this is your segment. We treat it as such. Um, so the Brooklyn Nets. So yeah, they have the talent, but they also age is not on their side. Both mm-hmm. Kyrie Irving and and uh Kevin Durant are on the wrong side of 30. Uh Kevin Durant is currently hurt with a knee injury. He's on pace to be back in a few weeks, but yet the team is still up there in the standings. 
And this is a team that barely made the playoffs uh, this past this past season, and they were and they've been able to to look past all of that and be able to still win games. And they are among uh, right now they are thirty one and nineteen. They're third in their division, but thirty one and nineteen is nothing to sneeze at, especially given the expectations that they had. I mean, they're they're better than they were last year. And they're playing with some old players, and they're still able to win games. That's that's pretty impressive, especially with a douchebag like Kyrie Irving leading the charge. So they're <laughs> they're they. I will I will say I'm surprised, and I I also wouldn't as a Celtics fan, I wouldn't mind a conference championship between uh, a series between those two teams if. The Nets actually can make it there. A lot of storylines there. Be a lot of fun to watch. A rematch of last year's first round and the first round of the the year before. Now that I think of it, and also the the history with Kyrie Irving, that would be fun. But that's a surprising team to me. I think that's that Brooklyn is Brooklyn has played beyond expectations. I thought they'd turtle and their age would take a toll this year. Fair mm-hmm. enough. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, Kev. I mean, I I think we were even talking uh, talking about it earlier in the day, and I think you were thinking about the Nets as well. I was. It was it was weird for me because I thought once KD went down, I mean, he was averaging thirty points a game, and obviously Kyrie is in and out of the lineup with injuries as well. They started the season off pretty pretty rough, and Kevin Durant kind of came at the media and was like, "How am I supposed to win with Royce O'Neal?" Like. It was kind of messed up that he shouted out his teammate in, in that light in the media to basically say, like, I don't have anybody to play with. And it was like a cop-out. Obviously, KD requesting a trade in the offseason and Kyrie, too. But, I, I mean, I'm definitely surprised they're playing as well as they have, especially with the injuries between their two superstars. They're really finding a way, and it, it, it's pretty impressive for sure. Yeah, uh, can I just throw in a, a disappointing team maybe before we change gears? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, you know, had high hopes for this team, you know, because if you just look at their roster when healthy, it's a pretty damn good roster. But the Chicago Bulls, I mean, think about Mm -hmm. it. Look at their roster when completely healthy. I know they're not healthy, so let's just take an inventory check of their starting five when healthy. Can I stress that enough? Lonzo Ball, Zach Levine. DeMar DeRozan, Patrick Williams, and Nikola Vucevic. Well, Lonzo's hurt. Vucevic has become a black hole, basically. And you're starting uh, Caruso, Alex Caruso at point guard? I mean, he's good, but I don't know. And I mean, and there's all kinds of trade rumors about how Zach Levine may want out. Drummond and Vucevic are probably gone. Like, what happened to this team? You know, they got DeRozan, they got Ball, they got Vucevic, they were going all in, and now they are at the 10th seed, sitting at a woeful 23-6. and six. You know that? And they're, and they're five and 5-5 five in their last 10. I just, I, I don't know what was happening. This was a team that I was like, oh, careful, they're a dark horse, they could make some serious noise, and half of that's injuries, and the other half, I just... I guess maybe they just didn't live up to their billing, or maybe it's that case where you know they they read their own press. What do you guys think? 
I think DeMar DeRozan isn't playing as good as he did last year. If we're being no, honest. no, he's really not. His efficiency is plummeted. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just he's kind he's just taking these awful shots left and right. He used to be good at hunting his shot, and now just not anymore. He's taking too many poorly timed threes, and he's just everything about him is just getting worse, which is weird because he's like. Because at his peak, he's arguably a top five small forward. You know, at his peak, I cannot stress that enough. Like last season or, or season you are, or whatever you are, that was. You are stretching that. No, I said at his peak, at very best. Remember when he first went to the Bulls, and I was like, "Oh my God, this guy's amazing." That that's his peak. Demar had and a good he start. He has not, huh? Demar had a good start with the Bulls. Exactly, he had a great start, Huge. and he has not been that since. And frankly. You hate to say this for the Bulls. You really do. But it, it didn't work. The Lonzo, Levine, DeMar experiment you know, with Vucevic and whatever, it didn't it work. It flopped. Yeah, it flopped. Yeah. It's not going to work. It's a Frankenstein's monster of names just cobbled together. And it's like, all right, go win. Well, they're not going to win. Hate to say it. It's time to blow it up. I'm sorry. I- I'm sorry. I can't let this go. He's not top five at peak. There's no, five. I, I did not. No, wait, what? Are you kidding me? Remember when you started at out peak? with the Bulls? Yes. At peak. Last season, he, bro, last, last season, season he hit like just two or three game winners, averaged over 25, was shooting over 50% from the field. Like he was their go getter when Zach would be Exactly. Would be the and the ongoing narrative when he went into Chicago was that he was washed. Nobody okay. was expecting him to blow up the way that he did. Now, this season's been a little bit different. He's definitely oh, this regressed. Season? Oh, no, that's that. He's, he's definitely regressed, but. He had a good stretch last year, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna criticize him on that one. Look, I, I'm not saying that he is. I'm just saying he has the potential. He has shown that he can, or at no. least mid top ten. Listen, because of time, I'm willing to move on to the next one. But after this show is over, I will tell you five guys at peak, <laughs> and we can discuss at peak that are better than this guy. All right, you clearly I- forgot how he was when he started i'm just saying if he plays like that oh, they have God. a winning record but he's not so they don't i'm gonna let it go until we're after the show we're talking about this <laughs> mm, i'll pass the atlanta hawks are a disappointing team oh yeah yeah also trey's overrated oh trey young i mean look old. at his shooting stats this year good god Efficiency wise, he's not, he's having an off year. But I mean, a lot of the hype behind it was DeJounte Murray was supposed to take that off of him. And I feel like Trey's trying to overcompensate to say, This is my team. You're not going to come here and take away my shots. But Trey's also been hurt this year as well. So the rhythm of his shots probably thrown off. DeJounte Murray's playing exceptionally well. Love mm-hmm. him as a two way player. Loved him in San Antonio. But I agree completely. Efficiency wise and field goal percentage, Trey Young has definitely hit a pretty decent slump right now. Mm hmm. All right. Well, there you have it. That is the Neighborhood Podcast official surprising and disappointing NBA teams at the halfway point in the NBA season. But we are going to change gears and touch on our film, our Fumble Rooski fan box. So the weekly fan box and ask, who was the MVP of championship weekend? I had high expectations for this one, and it did not disappoint. That's next. This is the Fumble Rooski Podcast.
Welcome back to the Fumble Brewski podcast by Power 88 and Secret Weapon Consulting. Adam Wright, Justin Tucker, CJ Medeiros, special guests Kevin Valentin and Kyle Dabro. All right, so we have reached the Fumble Brewski fan box. So we post a question filter on our Instagram every Monday, and you can respond with hot takes, questions, and more. And we will discuss it and give you a shout out on our podcast. Respond to next week's fan box question to be featured on our show. All right, so the question of the week was, who was the MVP of championship weekend? We got a lot of votes for the refs in the AFC championship. Um, but Isaac Zonana said Hassan Reddick. So that's a good one. I think that's a good one. He was a beast this year, and he, put, he proved he is worth every penny of that deal. It was three years, 45 mil for – uh, Hassan Reddick for the Eagles, and he just punched, he helped punch their ticket to Super Bowl 57. Uh, but Grayson Mortimer said referees. Obvious. <laughs> you, you were, we, yeah, it, was expect, it was expected to get a few votes for that. So, refer, look, listen, the refs were not good. They had a bad night. But again, we, we alluded to this earlier in the show. They left it in the hands of the officials, the Bengals did, to on whether or not they win this game. And yeah, if their officiating is better, maybe the outcome's different. But that doesn't matter. It doesn't change the fact that they made that they made mistakes that dug their own grave, especially on that offensive line. Good lord. Can they get a healthy and functioning offensive line for more than six games? Um so uh, Mallory Kleppel said Chiefs defensive line. So, I mean, that segues perfectly from what I, what I, what I just said, but I mean, l- listen, the bit, so the Bengals went from facing a middling passing ru- pass rush this year in the Buffalo bills. And then they go on and they had, they go to the number two pass rush, according to stats and pressure, uh, uh, sacks and pressures. So the the Chiefs defensive line, I mean, absolutely. Especially on the interior with Chris Jones having a career year. And don't forget about Frank Clark. Um, Owen Vanslack said Eagles offensive line. So I guess you could say they, they were the unsung heroes. Because when you face Nick Bosa, and when you face that whole 49ers defense, that's going to be a tall task. And they did fine. They did well. Nick Bosa was not as big a factor as he could have been. Shout out um, Lane Johnson. <laughs> oh yeah. And yeah, and coming back from the from the injury as well. What a job. Uh Diego Huertas said <laughs> the refs obviously. We're going to get a few of these. Um again, uh, I'm going to I'm going to stick with what I what I said earlier. You've got. You have to control what you can control, um, and it's so easy to blame the refs. I feel bad for them a lot of the time. Um, Ian Mulhern said Hassan Reddick without a shadow, without a shadow of a doubt. Again, worth every penny of that deal, and he has been arguably their best defensive player on that line. And that doesn't. And that says a lot, considering how well that defense has played, not just on the fr- on the front seven, but in their secondary. You can name three players who are who are just magnificent uh, 
in the secondary. Um, Daniel Blaziak said Eli Apple. Wow. Kev's got some thoughts about Eli. Want to elaborate? Kev's got some thoughts. Uh, I, listen, listen. I have said since Eli Apple came out of Ohio State that he was a scrub. I'm standing on that hill. I'm going to die on that hill. He was horrible with the Giants. He was exposed in multiple coverages. He sucked on the Saints. And he kind of played a little bit better. And then, I, I, listen, he's the biggest trash talker on social media when it comes to him doing absolutely nothing relevant in game. So for him to start coming at specific receivers and teams and then have a massive pass interference call on him because he couldn't <laughs> stay in front of a wide receiver, he, he sucks. I, he's the last person I ever want to see on social media again. Yeah, yeah, you know his mom even talks trash on social media too. And I remember his mom was talking so much trash when he got to the league. It's like, wow, she could probably play a better corner than her son. However, did you however, hear she she deactivated her Twitter? Twitter because they she got bullied. Wow. So you know, you know what they say: what goes around comes around. Ain't that the truth? Oh, all right well kev you said you're gonna live you're gonna live on that hill and die on that hill you're thriving because you're not dying you're <laughs> you're gonna beat anyone who tries to fight you on that but i'm doing what i can i mean yeah i mean god you talk about the textbook definition of riding someone's coattails i mean what this bengals team has achieved has been nothing short of extraordinary in the past couple of years especially with their issues at offensive line but then Eli Apple has to ruin it all by talking all this garbage. Everyone knows he's not very good, except maybe a few Bengals fans who might be delusional. And his mom. Uh, apparently. Yeah. It's just, oh, all right. Uh, we could talk about this forever. Uh, Patrick Wilver said Ron Torvert. <laughs> um. And for those of you who don't know who that is, that was their chief. That was the crew chief for the officials. So another vote for, um, another vote for the refs. The refs. Um, and Eli Turner also said the refs. Um, and I didn't look. I didn't bother to. Uh, didn't get around to uh, researching who this is. So Kaylee Morton said James Winchester. He's the long snapper for Kansas City. Well. Clutch. I I guess, James Winchester, don't you know? Jeez, oh, you're on clutch. Yeah, I, should, I, I know nothing about the NFL. I shouldn't have an NFL podcast. You know, James um, Winchester, five touchdowns leading over the Bengals. Absolutely. <laughs> Greatest long snapper of all time. Exactly. All right. And I think we got one more. So it was Floodster Sports Zone. It was It's Grant Flood's. Uh, sports page. He said Jaguars legend Gardner Minshew and his two quarterback Neils. He's a Jaguars Jeez. fan, so that's. Um, but he he was very happy earlier in this postseason, um, <laughs> and bright future for that Jaguars hmm. team. But Gardner Minshew, one of the better backup quarterbacks, I would say in all of football. He's a guy where if you miss him, depending on the matchup, of course. If you are missing your starting quarterback for a game or two, depending on the matchups, you could not even miss a beat. You could be fine. Um, but obviously you want Jalen Hurts in there for most of the time. We learned that from uh, the few matchups that we got towards the end of the season where Gardner Minshew had to start. He played well against the Cowboys, but the Cowboys, mm -hmm. they're the Cowboys. 
just the Cowboys. All right. So dangerous uh, so in the regular season. Dangerous in the regular season. <laughs> Different story in the postseason. And when the when will they ever win a Super Bowl? It it it'll be it'll be a while. Not in our lifetime. Um, I'll be it'll long, come, long. I'll be long. It'll come long one right year. In. It'll come one year. They they have to do it eventually. But um, all right. Do you guys have any other thoughts before we end the show tonight? Nope. It was a short one. So it was great. It was great getting you guys all together. Um, I guess in other news we could touch on real quick, I could just give the news. Um, Sean Payton is now the head coach of the Denver Broncos. So a big upgrade from, uh, from Nathaniel Hackett, uh, to possibly a future hall of fame head coach. Um, and he has the track record of very strong offenses. This guy now working with Russell Wilson, He's got Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, um, running back uh, Javante Williams. He'll uh, he'll has he'll have his work cut out for him in order to uh, turn things around. But um, yeah, we'll probably touch on that more in depth uh, on Thursday. We had a loaded up episode, so there wasn't much that we could that we could do. But for our Friday episode, that is what will come out. And as I mentioned, plenty of Super Bowl coverage to come. So don't you guys worry about that. But uh, Kev, Kyle, thank you so much for joining our show. I'll give you guys the opportunity to plug your podcasts and, you know, promote. Kev, go, well, go right ahead. Sincerely, can you guys hear me? One of my AirPods died. I can hear you. I can hear you. You're good. Okay. Perfect. Just wanted to make sure. Uh, first and foremost, we want to thank you guys. I mean, Adam, Justin, CJ, I mean, we, we, we wouldn't be here without you guys. Sincerely love the, the podcast and what you guys are doing. And the dynamic between the three of you has been great. So Kyle and I are very, very grateful um, for the opportunity. And then Kyle, I don't know if you wanted to say anything, because I think this one's about to die, too. If you wanted to plug that in, I think this is literally about to kick the boot. Yeah, I mean, you know, Kevin and I were a part of the Neighborhood Podcast. You guys can find us on our YouTube page. Uh, at the neighborhood podcast um our twitter page uh i guess the the username associated with that isn't the neighborhood podcast it's kevin underscore kyle underscore pod that was the only username that i could available available to us so we stuck with that one so that's our twitter handle uh then you guys can also find us on instagram tiktok at the neighborhood podcast uh we post content pretty much on a daily basis on those platforms uh, the same goes with YouTube and Twitter. Uh, but outside of that, um, just to piggyback off of what Kev said, we definitely appreciate you guys for allowing us uh, into your podcast here at Fumble Ruski. And, um, you know, maybe at some point in the future, maybe we can get you guys on an episode and, you know, maybe try to cross paths once again, because I, I think I can speak for Kev here on this one. I, I genuinely enjoyed the time uh, mm -hmm. just talking sports with you guys and uh, maybe we should do it again sometime in the future absolutely yeah. man of course yeah yeah thanks for joining us it, it, we had we had a great time too uh we ran a little bit long but when you have five people on one episode it's that's going to happen we i told you guys before the show that we try to shoot for 48 minutes and we overshot a little bit today um by probably about double um but all right, so that'll do it for us tonight. Thank you for listening to us. We have new episodes out on Tuesdays and Fridays at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We also have all our episodes available on Spotify, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and so much more. Also, be sure to follow our Instagram at FumbleRooski underscore podcast to keep up with our podcast and the latest coverage on the NFL. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Over and out.